Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Winston Burns, and my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going? What's going on, man? How's it going? Nothing much. It's going pretty good. And tonight we're joined by a special guest for the first half again, um, Markel Strong, a current college classmate of mine. He was on for our pre-2 review um, a few weeks ago, but thanks for being back on, man. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Always been here. Yeah, man, absolutely. And um, for the first half, we're going to get into to, um, some finals thoughts and um, a couple of uh, NFL topics and college football topics. In the second half, um, me and Savon are going to review the Adjustment Bureau. But to start it off with the Lakers um, closing closing out the series in Game 6 and you know what this means for LeBron's legacy, um, LA beats Miami by 13 to win the franchise's 17th title. And from the jump, you know they just clamped down defensively and, and their sizes as well just gave Miami fits. Um, LeBron won his fourth finals MVP, having another triple-double as well. And um, the Lakers going small early with Caruso in the starting lineup resulted in them just being active defensively, um, protecting the rim and generating turnovers. And their 28-point lead marked the second largest in finals history. Um, but to you, Markel, like, what were your thoughts on this Lakers final, finals win and what this does for LeBron's legacy as, you know, at age 35, almost 36, he, he's still the best in the game? Uh, I don't – I think – it doesn't help nor hurt his legacy because, like, LeBron is LeBron. Like, he's going to get his stats no matter what. Like, when LeBron's playing, it's not – we're not worried about how he's going to play. We're worried about how his teammates are going to play because they do their role. They're going to they're gonna win. But um, at first I was thinking, I was like, he, he took the heat and Jimmy Butler. He took him six games. Then I realized LeBron is 35 years old. Yeah. For him to be 35 and to put a team, well, almost carry a whole team on his back with the help of AD, it don't hurt nor tarnish. Like, it's LeBron. You can't really add to his career. He can retire right now, and he's definitely a Hall of Famer. He's top two in my book for in all time. Yeah. Um, Savon, to you, like, this was, you know, from the jump, even when a lot of people were picking the Clippers, you were – Sold that the Lakers with with you know the best duo would be able to win and they were able to do it even through you know dramatic games you know get, uh, Jimmy Butler has a phenomenal game three and game five performance but they still find a way to do this. Um, what were your thoughts on the Lakers? You know, getting another title after you know a six year playoff drought and also you know what this means for LeBron. Like, are you kind of in the same corner that Markel is where this just you know doesn't do anything significant but just shows us how great LeBron can be. I think it does give him a, another notch on his belt for um, the GOAT talk. Not even, I don't want to get into the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James debate, but just the GOAT talk. They said he couldn't do what he did in the West because he was always in the East, obviously. Then he goes to the West the first year. It's not what they thought is going to be. Then he gets hurt and he say, this is the comeback year. This is the year I'm going to win a championship. It's a lot of at stake. Kobe Bryant passes away. So there's a lot of emotions into this um, um, drive or ride to, be able to call themselves NBA champions. But man, LeBron James, once again, is the one of the most consistent basketball players that ever stepped foot in the hardwood. We've seen that again, but it was a lot of knocking him. He's not a leader. He doesn't, it's just so much. Well, I, don't, I don't understand why people hate LeBron James so much. But I told everybody, Jimmy Butler cannot play perfect every single game. And Hero can't play perfect every single game. It's, they were outmatched in every category. It's just you have to play perfect against LeBron, and especially with a healthy 
in creative AD. So, I mean, already knew what was going to happen. I picked the Lakers before the season even started to win the national, the national championship, NBA <laughs> championship. So <laughs> I don't want to hear anything from nobody. Like, I'm psychic. I'm Miss Cleo over here, you know? Oh, I, mean? I, I, I called it too, <laughs> right off the bat. I was like, oh. But I, I'm, I thought it was going to be the Bucks, though. I had Lakers in five, I think, against the Bucks. Mm. I had Clippers Sixers before the yeah, season. Sixers. I had Clippers and, and the Sixers for the season. Mm. But Philadelphia, man, they're just... Yeah, I, don't <laughs> I don't think they're ever going to figure out. <laughs> I, don't, I and, can see uh, Kawhi and PG going at it. Going with it. Like, I don't know how they far. play together for this whole season. Because, like, their playing styles are, in my opinion, too different. They both are, like, ball-dominant. Mm-hmm. And they both are like wing players, so that's not that's not good in my my book. Yeah, and, and I mean, when you look at the next season with with the Lakers, I mean, they're obviously going to be probably probably the favorites. But in the West, the Golden State they're going to come back healthy. Um, I think they're going to be right up, up there as as possible threats to them in the West. Like to you, Markel, like in terms of other teams, maybe in the West or e- even in the East that you think could possibly. Um, contend with them. I, I definitely think the Warriors have to be a team that we consider. But but is there any team in particular that you think can challenge the Lakers next season? Honestly, I think the Celtics. Mm. This young team, they buckets. I don't I don't know how to put it, but just buckets. Jalen yeah. Brown's a bucket. He's an underrated bucket. Uh, Jason Tatum's a bucket. Kemba's kind of a bucket in my book. But, like, the Warriors, I wonder yeah. if they do draft James Wiseman. I wonder how he's going to play. Because, like, if he's a solid center, they, they're back in the playoff contention, finals contention again. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, Savon, is there any team in particular next season that, that you would say could, could be that threat to the Lakers? Or is it just one of those things where the, the Lakers definitely should be the favorites? Um, but... It, it, it may be too early to tell, but is there kind of a team early on that you think could possibly be possibly be that threat for them? I think I understood the question, right? Because you're going in. So I think the Golden State Warriors is going to be the biggest threat. And to be completely honest, if the Lakers do not trade for Chris Paul or another shooter or another facilitator, Ray John Rondo is a great point guard and he showed that in the NBA Finals. But I think you need another guy because you see what <laughs> Jeff Green... Uh, Caldwell Pope, they went through their sluggish ways of not shooting uh, good behind the three-point line. I think you need a shooter. Now, if we get a, a completely helped Steph Curry, Clay, uh, Clay Thompson, uh, they probably will. We got Andrew Wiggins. We don't know what Andrew we're going to get. Are we going to get Kansas Andrew or we're going to get the same Andrew we've seen for the past five-plus years? But for yeah. for West, West purposes, definitely the, the, Gold, the Golden State Warriors. Just, just off for history, sure. I think they match up yeah. well together. And now and Dwight the Howard team. is a free agent. We don't know where he's going to go, and he has interest from the Golden State Warriors. So I don't know if he's going to resign with the Lakers or just go to the Warriors. It's a lot of moving parts. I think they should trade for Chris Paul. Just um, what he's done with the OKC and leading them to the playoffs. Nobody thought they were going to go to the playoffs, even though like that was a crazy oh, yeah. season for them. But I think they need that type of player. It'll take some some pressure off LeBron too, so LeBron doesn't have to run the offense, even though he's he's pretty prolific at it. Yeah, definitely. And, and um, before we transition to the NFL, there was there was news early on. Um, I think earlier this week or maybe later that Daryl Morey stepped down from the Rockets um, position, and you know he's been there so long. The Rockets they also lose Mike D'Antoni. Um, 
to you, to you guys, like either one can start first, but what are your thoughts on what the Rockets have going forward? Because obviously like they keep, you know, they keep coming up short that 2018 season when they couldn't beat the Rockets. Like that was their, their like one main year, their one main chance. And it seems as though even with Westbrook, they just keep um, coming up short, Uh, but, but either one of you can start, but what are your guys' thoughts on just kind of like what, where the Rockets are now as a team and also just as an organization? Oh, I guess I'll go in. I think they're going to clean house. When they when they got rid of Clint Capella, that made mm-hmm. me, that that was like clear as day. Like, okay, they're about to clear house. They're trying to try anything. They brought Mello in. They blamed Mello for their sluggish start. And then it got rid of Mello. Yeah. They're trying to clean house. They're trying to figure it out. Eventually, they're going to try to trade for Russell Westbrook, get him away from there. And mm-hmm. I don't know. You just can't win with James Harden. Like, this, this call a spade a spade. You cannot yeah, win with James Harden. All that step, step, back, back, step, step, bop it, <laughs> twist and shout, like all that stuff, bro, is not getting you a championship. Yeah. You're not a team player. You're you're not a leader for sure. Like, I don't know, man. It just, and then it's always going to hang over their head that 27 consecutive missed three pointers. Mm. That's all I think about when I think about the, the, the Rockets. <laughs> Wasn't it like two years ago? Yeah. It seemed like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, man. A recent, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to you, Markel, do you have any thoughts on on, on just kind of where, where their future's at? He kind of touched on what I, what I was going to say. Get rid mm-hmm. of Russell. I love Russell as a player. I like his intensity, but get rid of him. He, I, I don't know. Like, it's you can't say get rid of James Harden because like he's kind of a problem too. Like say, like he said with the score, well, his antics on the court, his carries and travels, I don't care nobody say. <laughs> but get rid of Russell, get right. him a role player that can that can score. Like if you can find like a young Lou Williams, somebody who'll mind like letting Ooh. James Harden take the spotlight and step up when he needs to, I think they'd be a lot better off. That's not a good formula though, don't you think? Like it's not a good formula. It's I mean like CP three, like <laughs> the chemistry with Russell Westbrook they, they was okay, thinking this CP3 is already hard-headed though. CP3 literally held everything together. To He's hard-headed though. Really? Like and James Harden like, is one of the best leaders in, in, in the league. Wait, what? I, I I mean he's one of the best leaders in the league like CP3? when that team Yeah, to me to even what even with what he did with OKC like that team probably should not have been as good as they were but they were a top five seed in the West and, you know, had a chance to, 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 to beat a pretty good Rocket team. Yeah, like, I would love to have CP3 on my team, but, like, we would have some words a lot of the times, I feel like. But at the same time of the day, he's a great player, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's he's not back and running for Houston. I don't think he's going to go back to Houston, so he's not even, not even the point with that. So I don't think they need to find, like, someone as a superstar caliber as CP3, but like, maybe someone who has a young player, young role player. Right, we don't have his foot in yet. So, yeah, I agree. Um, transitioning to the NFL and just you know Dak Prescott's season-ending injury, and um, you know if the Eagles or Cowboys are, are, are more positioned for the postseason, um, this past Sunday against the Giants, Dak Prescott was carted off the field um, with a compound fracture in his ankle, and you know it was just a sudden end to his season. And this presents questions about you know what's next next for Dak in the future um, together for the two. Um, the Cowboys still went on to win that game 37 to 34 and are two and three, first place for the NFC East. And um, 
Dak's overall recovery will take four to six months. Um, but to you, Markella, what were your thoughts on just a very unfortunate injury for Dak? And if Dallas can still get to the postseason, um, as you know, obviously they still have a lot of talent and probably will rely more on Ezekiel Elliott. Dude, that injury was scary. Like, um, I didn't I didn't want to watch the injury. I ended up seeing the picture by mistake, and it's terrible. But as far as their future, um, who are their remaining games? Let's see. Oh, they got the Cardinals next. Ooh. All right, I'm going to count that as a loss. That that little dude, uh, Kyler, he's a... Uh, He's an issue. Yeah. Um, you also said they the got Eagles. Like, yeah, if they, it was Redskins, up to me. Yeah, I mean, after that game, they got the Redskins, Eagles, Steelers, Vikings, Redskins, Ravens. Yeah, they ain't going to the playoffs. <laughs> if it was up to me. I don't me, know about that, though. I don't know about that. They might go to the playoffs. If it was up to me, the Eagles nor the Cowboys going to the playoffs. The Eagles went 1-3-1. Wentz, Carson Wentz has been really the inconsistent. Cowboys finish off and win the the um, the NFC East. They're one and all right now. Well, Washington is right behind it. Two and three. They still can win. Andy Dalton's not the best quarterback, but you got Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott. You got Gallup. The defense is eh, the defense is okay. Front seven is pretty prolific with Jalen Smith, but I think the offense can put up points even with Andy Dalton at the rails. I think they have a shot. They're going to win the NFC East for sure. I don't know. because uh, Cowboys. How did Dalton play this last game? I didn't get to watch it. I was working, so. I mean, he really had to – he didn't have to do much. He managed well. He was he was, he was uh, having that connection with C.D. Lamb the entire time because C.D. Lamb is in the slot. So, Andy Dalton is – I mean, you for, for a time period, Andy Dalton was a prolific quarterback his first five years. He just had okay. that Bengals effect. <laughs> when you oh, go to wow. the Bengals, look, man, I'm, I'm sorry for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is playing pretty good ball. Andy Dalton did the same thing the first five years. And after that, just like, oh, get him out of there. Get him out of there. But he went, uh, let's see. He went 9 for 11, okay. uh, 100 yards. 9 for 11. That's pretty good. That's 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 a good okay. uh, quarterback yeah. rating. But the biggest thing about that, no interceptions. That's the biggest thing. No interceptions. No interceptions. Yeah, no interceptions. They have a chance now. They have a shot. I think they, Wellington said they rely more on the running game. I think that will open up a lot of play action, a lot of one-on-one action with CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. He didn't have a great game last last week, but the week before that, I think he had like 145 yards, nine receptions, two touchdowns. So they'll get him back in the the field of things. They have a shot. I don't think the Washington football team or (laughs) – it's so weird saying that. Like, Washington the football Washington team. team. Washington football team. <sighs> trash. Hey, you you got to be political correct. Right. But trash city. I'm going to call it trash city. Don't do that. Because I don't like what they're doing to Dwayne Haskins. I don't like that at all, man. I don't like what they're doing to him. But anyway. <laughs> I'm going to say something there, man. <laughs> Speak your mind. This is full scope, man. Speak your mind. Full you know, scope. You know what they say about black quarterbacks? You only get one chance in the NFL. <laughs> this is true. Um, uh, now transitioning to the to the Titans' strong start after a commanding, you know, Thursday, um, Tuesday night win. Um, you know, in this past Tuesday night, Tennessee won by twenty four against Buffalo, and 
They're second in the league scoring TDs on 83% of their red zone visits. Um, Arthur Smith, their offensive coordinator, is, you know, creatively designing plays. And against against the Bills, that was highlighted even more as they found the end zone um, in all six of their trips. Um, the Seahawks rank first at 80.9% for their category. Um, but to you, Markel, like, what are your thoughts on the undefeated start that the Titans have gotten to and their red zone efficiency as um, they've gotten to a really high mark so far? Well, I mean, they have a seven foot, 280 pound running back. <laughs> I mean, do honestly, it. at that point, he's like, what? How, how tall is he in real life? What, what six, four? Yeah, probably like six, two, six, three, maybe. The way I'm expecting, I, if he has less than five yards, he gets an end zone. I expect him to score every single time. I don't care what defense you throw at him, what type of blicks, any of that. He should score every single time. Yeah. And plus, you Definitely. saw him baptize a grown man. <laughs> I mean, he's a freaking nature, though. Like, I don't know what to say about it. Like, dude, this is like, we thought Marshawn Lynch was beast mode. He's slinging grown men. <laughs> that stiff form is violent. It is violent. That's one reason I stopped playing football, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, his his left and right arm should have rated R on him. Like, for sure. <laughs> Like off the rip, like bro, like you Band out of here, right, bro. Like you violated these trees, bro. And, and, and I mean, like with what we saw um, uh, last year, uh, Savon, within the AFC Championship with with the Chiefs and the Titans, um, you know they were they were there for um, kept it a competitive game for the for the, for the first half, and then you know the, the Chiefs just go on to, to roll with it and. With what you've seen from from the Titans so far this season, and, and obviously Derrick Henry with what he's doing, um, what have been your overall thoughts um, after you know the, the early part of the season? Where I mean, so much. Obviously, this, this has been a different off season. You know, the, the game was postponed, um, but but they're you know off to a pretty good start. Man, oh man, the the biggest takeaway we already knew Derrick Henry was going is a beast. The man is just a freaking nature. How do you stiff warm somebody thirty yards down the field <laughs> continuously and score? <laughs> uh, but the biggest takeaway from this season so far is Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill. That's the biggest thing. Like, first you come in and take Marcus Mariota's position, and then they trade him away. He goes to the, the Raiders, and he's the second string now. And then you get the big contract before the guy who got you to the AFC Championship and Derrick Henry. Then they start paying him. So it's just like, and he's playing really good football. He's, he's throwing over 65% completion rate. The man, I mean, he's averaging 7.8 for, for each throw. He's consistent. He's running the ball. We, this is the Ryan Tannehill that, <clears throat> excuse me, that everybody was talking about when he came out of Texas A&M, when he went to Miami Dolphins. This is the Ryan Tannehill everybody's been looking for. And he's back for some odd reason. May miss the running game. May miss the Corey Davis, who catches everything, which is a cold, and he's he's sick. He, he actually got an illness too, so <laughs> that joke wasn't wasn't in bad taste. <laughs> but um, yeah, Ron Tannehill is like the biggest takeaway, and the defense is playing real good. Man, you see, um, the savior of 2014, uh, Malcolm Butler, like yeah. that man is still ball hawking. Nobody talks about him anymore. He's a consistent DB, but nobody yeah. talks about yeah, him. But yeah, he has like three interceptions this year. And, and and on the other side, this is this is your time, Savon, to talk about how the Bills are gonna bounce back and, and beat the Chiefs Monday night. Yes. What made you want to be a Bills fan? <laughs> I'm not a Bills fan. I'm a Green Bay Packers. He's, not, he's a Packers fan. Oh, okay. 
No, I was saying that the Bills were a compet like they're still a competitive team. Um, but you look at what happened in this game. Ryan Tannehill was the difference maker. Those two rushing scores. I mean, we all knew Derrick Henry is going to get his yards, but he gets his yards and he still lose certain games. And then they were playing close games the entire season. Like, well, it's the first four games. They didn't play against Pittsburgh, of course, but they beat Denver 16-14. Denver's not a competitive team. They beat Jacksonville Jaguars 33-30 and then Minnesota 31-30. So I'm thinking Tennessee Titans is not going to come out and be like anything because the Bills are playing great football. But they're going to bounce back. Don't, don't, don't worry. They're going to bounce back. They're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You got to <laughs> understand something. I'm not going to tell you why they're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, you called this last son, you, you, you called this the last episode, Savon, when you said that the Raiders are going to beat the Chiefs. So I, I do have to admit, your, 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 your late predictions you. have been right. Because <laughs> look at, I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs do incredible plays. They have a great offensive coordinator. They have great weapons on the offensive side. Defense is still, yeah. But they have great weapons, but they are beatable and they are coverable. I don't know if the last one was a word, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> but they're coverable. Well, Raiders did the, Raiders played cover four majority of the game. Their front four got home majority of the game. And then look at the, the comeback in Adonis, man. The guy was a big-time defensive end for the 49ers for years. Got in some trouble, been out of the game for four years, came back, and he was rushing the passers. So great, bro. He didn't get a sack. He got close to it, but he had Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable. And with the cover four and your front four doing the great job and getting after the ball, and he's making have to make these incredible throws every play. It that, that's tiresome for a quarterback, even for Mr. 10 years a gazillion dollars <laughs> and half owner of a baseball team. <laughs> He gets tired too. But I mean, yeah, that's what I mean, just to prove it and put it, they struggle with the Chargers, they struggle with the Patriots, they got beat by the Raiders, the Bills can bounce back from this. They're gonna beat the Chiefs. Not by much though. It's gonna be by a field goal. It's gonna be a tight game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's gonna be by a field goal, bro. Yeah, like, I win, but uh, not like that though. Nah, like that. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's the Chiefs now. I'm a respectable enough to be yeah, like, it's gonna be a close it. game. Yeah. Or if um, they went, they lose by three, but Patrick Mahomes threw for 8,000 yards. He did, and they still lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and transitioning to, to, to um, most interesting week six game, um, for me, I would probably go with Green Bay, Tampa Bay, um, as you know, Tampa Bay, they blitzed on 40.6% of defensive snaps, and they're the fourth highest um, blitz rate in the league with the pass rushing prowess of um, Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. The Bucks can generate pressure through talent and scheme. Uh, Rodgers has for a long time been, you know, one of the top QBs versus the Blitz, even in his um, subpar season in 2018 and 2019. Um, his passer rating versus the Blitz was about 10 points better than the NFL average. Um, so you, Markel, like in, in some of the games that are going to be um, on this Sunday, is there one in particular that stands out to you the most? Well, you stole my Bucks versus Packers. Yeah. So gonna I'm going to go... I'm gonna go with the. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about the Bucks and Packers as, as well, I mean that that th- that is a, a pretty um, high premier game. Nah, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> you just, I I I can't I can't steal your thunder. <laughs> uh, really, that was the most interesting game to me. That I was actually gonna watch that one. 
Well, I mean, Browns and Steelers is another huh? good one. Browns four and one, Steelers four and zero. Oh, that that could be an interesting one. Okay, let's go Broncos Patriots. Okay, can I think? Can, oh, is Cam going to be able to play this week? Ah, oh, he's expected to return. I want to see Cam Newton rip apart the Broncos with his new team. I think he can. Because like, I mean, I've been bitter since 2015 about the Broncos. I don't, I don't care for them. I hate the uh, the dude with the weird beard, uh, <laughs> the linebacker. Uh, I can't remember his name. I hate him that much. <laughs> the weird beard. Uh, <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. What's their linebacker? Uh, for for the Broncos? Broncos, yeah, for Denver. Say again, Wilson. I didn't. I haven't said anything. I'm. I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out uh, which guy you're talking about. Yeah, this is the first time I've been able to save somebody <laughs> with remembering the names. They've always used to. Be. Man. Uh, okay, let me look him up. Continue though. I'll jump in and tell you in a little bit. Just go ahead. Keep going. All right. With that, I want to see Cam Newton second bound to his ankles. I want Cam Newton to rush for hundred yards. Oh, you talking about Von Miller? Von Miller, I hate him. Oh wow, Von Miller's a goat, man. He needs to shave his beard. He's the reason. He's Cam- a cowboy. I hate him. <laughs> He's one of the reasons Cam Newton got the uh. There's like, oh, Cam don't love the game. He didn't go for that fumble. Von Miller's trying to kill this man. I want to go for it. Yeah. But oh yeah, I want to see. I just want to see Cam have a field day. Well, I mean, with with. With what Cam's been doing so far this year, I mean, they they're he's he's definitely been that that necessary piece for the Patriots going forward. Um, so you, Savon, do you have a, a most interesting uh, Week Six game so far? Y'all missing the best game that's coming on, one o'clock Eastern, twelve o'clock Central, CBS, Cleveland versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, four and one, four and zero. It's gonna be a crazy game. I think they're both four and one. Nah, Pittsburgh is four and zero. They didn't play uh, the, um, the Titans. Mm. They're four and zero, and then you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers depth chart. You be like, how are they four and zero? This is the first time they're four and zero in probably like 10, 15 years. <laughs> you look at the depth chart. The only great wide receiver they have is Juju. They have James Carter at running back, and they got Big Ben. Uh, I thought Claypool was having a great season. I don't know. I never heard of him. He's a subpar uh, wide receiver. But he's been having some amazing catches this season. And then when I'm trying to look at their depth chart, they will pull up. Hey, they just don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers on CBS. (laughs) (laughs) I try to pull up their depth chart. (laughs) He said not available. Yo, what? that's next level hate. <laughs> what? CBS, what are y'all doing, man? But no, I think that's going to be an interesting game. We all thought the Browns was going to come out salt, like real slow. They did. They lost one. Then they bounced yeah, back. They Nick Chubb is almost, he's not out for the season, but he's out for a couple more games. Cream Hunter stepped up. I love what they're doing with OBJ. They're doing a lot of sweeps, a lot of reverses. A lot of trick plays to wake up everybody. Defense is playing good. Miles Garrett is crazy right now. Ah, that game's going to be dope. Can he get... Whoa, but this is the kicker, too. 
he got suspended last time for against I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers. Be a fight. There's going to be another mm-hmm. fight between the two. There's going to be the <laughs> being thrown. <laughs> that's, the, that's why I picked it. But Big Ben <laughs> is not that type of quarterback. Mason Rudolph is just a, a douchebag. He's a frat boy. Oh, he's a frat boy. Are you, perfect. Perfect way perfect. to describe perfect. Mason Rudolph. He can take a hit, though. Yeah, he can. Everybody take yeah, a hit. You <laughs> he better take, boy. You better <laughs> back up what you do. <laughs> Yeah, and, and now transitioning to, to college football with um, dealing with, with Florida and LSU's tough losses. Um, Texas A&M out, outlasted the Gators 41-38 as um, Seth Small hit a 26-yard field goal. Um, this yeah, also marked Jimbo Fisher's... <laughs> <laughs> You're a Gators fan, too? He's a Gators fan. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got in a rough week. I was so sad <laughs> last week, bro. Like, I wanted to punch a baby. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, dog, I'm an Auburn fan. Yeah, I know. You're, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I then, um, that. then my fiance oh. is a Georgia fan, so imagine how that week went for me. Yeah, I almost got divorced. I ain't even married yet. <laughs> 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 I wanted the cake gonna be half Georgia, half Auburn. Half Georgia, half Auburn. Nah, he gonna be something else. He's gonna be an LSU fan. No, I'm talking about the cake, not. The, oh, the, I thought you said my child, kid. Bro. I thought you said my kid. No, I was like, nah. <laughs> wait, why would he go to LSU? Like, it's so random. Like, he's like, nah, he's gonna be an LSU fan. What? Yeah, like, like I feel like if he's Auburn fan, Lawrence not gonna be. He's not gonna be my fiance you know, favorite. If you're a Georgia fan, I'm not gonna claim him. So, if he's neutral, it's whatever, dude. Like, LSU is not gonna be good. He's gonna be an Oregon fan then. He's gonna be an Oregon fan. He's gonna be a he's gonna be a North Carolina fan. North Carolina looks good this year. He can well, be a, he can be a Tar Heel. Well, it's an, I'm sorry, we take it over, bro. Go continue. <laughs> We're going left. <laughs> um, but but I mean, also with this win for Texas AM, you know, this also marked Jimbo Fisher's first victory over a top five opponent. Right. Since being hired by the Aggies in 2018, and you know they were they already came off a, a 28 point loss to Alabama, and for Florida they had a chance to win later uh, with about four and a, and a half minutes late um, left before Malik Davis fumbled and Kyle Trask finished um, 23 or 32 <sighs> for 30 with 12 yards and four touchdowns. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more about it. I'm just going to ask you, Zayvon, what were your thoughts? <laughs> yo, yo, literally <clears throat> the entire time, every time we touched the ball in the first half and third quarter, we scored. Defense doesn't – we finally get a quarterback that's consistent and we have a nice running game. We have wide receivers. We had a great tight end, one of the best tight ends in, in college football right now, Kyle Pitts. We got everything going for it. And then you look at our defense, DBU where? Where? Our <laughs> linebackers are terrible. Their tier defensive line, our, the guy we got from Georgia, Cox, he's not living up to the hype. It's like the defense is draining us dry. We – Almost lost to Ole Miss team. They almost beat. They almost beat Alabama. It was a, the the couple last plays that with the center hiked into the first. He had a fall on it, and that momentum kind of shifted back to Alabama. And then Najee Harris kind of just took over. But our defense looked, man, just looked trash. Worst defense I've ever seen from Florida ever, ever. I mean, I was sad. Like I said, I wanted to punch a baby. What are the Not a newborn baby. Okay. Not a newborn baby. Not a newborn, Not a newborn baby. baby. <laughs> a baby that's been on this earth for six months. That's still a newborn <laughs> baby. Sorry. <laughs> but now, nah, man, I mean, we got to we gotta clean it up. 
Offense looks good. Yeah. Trash looks good. He tried to force one one time, got an interception. But he looks good, but the defense got to step up. We got to clean some stuff up. Yeah. And, 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 um, and for LSU, you know, they lose to a, to a winless Missouri by four in a shocker. Their defense has clearly been one of the main glaring flaws as they gave up um, 586 yards and also against Mississippi State, giving up an SC record for passing yards. Um, 623 from KJ Costello. Um, uh, to, to you, Markel, with what LSU had last year, obviously, like they lost a lot of um, a lot of key players, and you know they they lose the number one pick in, in Joe Burrow. Um, to you, like what has kind of stood out to you from what LSU struggled with as a defending national champion? Um, they've lost you know a, a really tough one in Missi- against Mississippi State, and then lose to an unranked unranked team in Missouri. Honestly, well, I'm gonna say this. I, well, I expected this, so nothing really stand out. I knew they was going to come in and not be good. But mm-hmm. these guys are not freshmen. And so, they're not freshmen. They're not new to this SEC football. And I kind of put this on Ed. He knew these guys were leaving. He should have known that six games until, yeah, these guys are not coming back. They they have, they have balling this year. I understand, like, you miss some situations where you don't need um, rookies in the game. But because they don't have this game experience, this this real life experience, they're not going to perform the way they need to. And um, I feel like last year they won like how many games? By like sixty five points. They should have. Well, these these players who are coming up after these Justin Jeffersons and Joe Burrows, they should have played more time. Because we we off the bat we knew Bur- Burrow wasn't coming back. Justin was in the air. The guys behind them should have played more. She got some experience, so it won't be this rough on them now. I feel like they're going to put it together later on in the season, but it just comes with time. That's it. This is need a little time yeah. to get, get their feet wet. Yeah, um, so Savon, to you, like, has what have kind of been your early thoughts on on what LSU has struggled with? Is it kind of the same as what Markel said? Yeah, for sure. Uh, when one of your top guys last year doesn't come back for health reasons um for COVID and Justin Jefferson he doesn't come back that's a big hit now everybody's thinking like okay is does he care about the team that the morale is down and then it's hard to uh like emulate what you did the previous season everybody knew all the chase was gonna go Joe Burrow was gonna go uh Claude was gonna go Devin White was gonna go all these players like Markel said next man up I don't know about if they should have played more, but next man up, this is your time to shine. What are you going to do? I think the same intensity they had last year is not its not here anymore. The same dog they had, the the coach sounded like freaking Elmo or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have that same effect. Right. It doesn't have the same effect anymore. So now you, next man up. We always preach when I was in football, they said, we're not rebuilding, we're reloading. That's what the LSU is hard to emulate what you did the previous year. It's super hard. That's why I give props to Alabama. Every single season, they yeah. reload. It's hard to reload. It's hard to recruit. It's hard to get those players to want to come. Clemson does a great job, too. Armour does a great job, I would say, too, for defense and running backs and some wide receivers, quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that right now. Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, man, the next man up, that's what they got to do. Jefferson didn't come in. Who's who's going to be the next dog? And these, but you got to think about it. all those wide receivers last year. They were there for like two years before they started getting a name for themselves. So it's it's a, probably a rebuild and reloading situation for them. So they just have to go through their dry spells. 
Yeah. But I mean, um, like, and, and go ahead. Yeah. Um, like you said, this, um, who's going to be the next dog? They're not like they're coming from high school and not really playing much cultural ball into the SEC. I think the SEC is the scariest, the scariest uh, conference to play in. It's like imagine playing slot receiver in the SEC. Like a, a, a freshman, an average freshman is not ready for that. Nobody's ready for that. The average freshman, yeah, true. You're, yeah. you're right. But you're I mean, right. like you got some freaks in nature, Alabama. They deserve for anything. But I don't know what they say to feed them kids. But it's it's like. <laughs> It's like it's a, <laughs> SEC is a different jungle, and everybody's not ready for that. And just, I don't feel like you can just all right. Next man up, we're gonna play. Uh, hold on, coach. They hit different out here. Like, but it's not the incoming freshmen. They have veteran guys on that football team. They have guys that have been there for like two, 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 three years or got redshirted. There's guys there that have been a while who saw like J- Justin Jefferson and Chase and Joe Burrow. Well, Joe Burrow came over from um, Ohio from State. Ohio State. And he was there for that year. We saw the transit, like how he elevated himself for the, the the last year, and he just went off Heisman, national championship records, all the whole nine. But it has to be the next man up. They do have veteran guys on that football team, and if you're a true freshman, they're going to be ready for the dog. Like they're going to be ready for the dog. Yeah, SEC is one of the most extreme conferences, but you have to be ready. This is what you wanted. You got, what are you going to do? Yeah. Are you going to bow down to adversity or are you going to look at adversity, eat it like it was, like it's flavor? See, I said freshman because I feel like by sophomore year, you should be like, like if you play in college football, you obviously, probably one of your goals is to go to the NFL. So by sophomore year, you yeah. know, like you got to get, you got to get your feet wet. You got that fear gone. You got to get out there and eat. That's why I said yeah. freshman. Okay. Because like, by, by junior senior year, you know if not you're going to the NFL, so you're not really you're really not gonna have that dog on you. You just want to graduate and go get a nine to five. Yeah, and and, um, and after listening to, to the Alabama Georgia preview, you know this is a a top three matchup, and Mac Jones stats um, have been phenomenal so far. Um, has an eighty percent completion rate and sixteen point seven yards per completion, and only one interception and two sacks. Um, Alabama's got you know three of the I mean two. Uh, of some of the best offensive players in the country, also with Najee Harris and Jalen Waddell. And tempo will, will probably be a major factor for this outcome as Georgia doesn't run a lot of tempo, um, no huddle in a hurry of offense. And Alabama does this a lot. And how Georgia counters this will be pivotal. And um, their defense holding Tennessee scoreless in the second half as, as Georgia's defense in a rhythm. Um, but to you, Markella, like what are your, what are some of your thoughts on just kind of like some of the important factors for this game and also just how, how much do you think Nick Saban's absence as, you know, he tested positive for COVID will affect Alabama? Because obviously he's he's one of the first people everybody thinks of when they think of Alabama. And, you know, his absence there is definitely going to be something that's that's different for them in a, in a big time game. Oh, I don't think his absence is going to make a difference. I mean, like they might be a little bit more off the leash. Like you see more tempers flying from from players, but I don't think his absence is going to cause that much of a stir up. But one factor, I think, is timing, the timing of this game. Um, we saw first game Georgia had, they struggled. Second game, they rolled over Auburn. So we know they're getting in the flow, but they're not mm-hmm. – I don't believe they're in the flow enough to go against Alabama right now. As much as I don't like Alabama, I can always say it. They're always ready to go. Yeah. Georgia, they start off slow. Well, well, this season they started off slow. And they struggled a lot on the offensive end. You can't do that with Alabama. And um, facing probably the weakest team Arvin's had 
since Sean White was quarterback. That's that's not a good statement to how good you are right now. It's like we're a subpar. We're ranked what 14, 18, something like that. We shouldn't be ranked that high. We should be not even top twenty-five. So that's not really a statement in my book. But them playing Alabama so early is not good for them. Later in the season, it's a different story. Everybody's in the rhythm, but this is too early for Georgia. Yeah. Um, Savon, to you, like, what are kind of some of the elements that stand out to you the most in, in this top three matchup? And, you know, just what's going to be some of the, the, the key um, elements to decide this one? This is going to be a great game. This is why. This is going to be a great game for multiple reasons. One, both teams has crazy running game, right? Najee Harris, a bunch of guys on, I'm not going to name the guys on Georgia. There's too many of them. They have like three running backs they use periodically. Rushing-wise, they average 161 yards a game in Georgia. And then their defense is number third in all of NCAA in rushing. They only allow 58 yards a game. That The headline's right there, bro. Trenches. Like, it's going to be a crazy game. Both defense looks good on the back end, but they do allow a lot of points. A lot of points. You see what Ole Miss did. Ole Miss added, what, 40 points on uh, Alabama? It's like 64. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like they cheated. 63. I agree <laughs> with Nick Saban. <laughs> Nick Saban was like, Nick Saban was like, how long? They know some signals. <laughs> Ole Miss offenses is good, bro. Their offenses is yeah, good. I don't it's know. Good. Some they're sig- good. Somebody knew some signals. Nah, some- it wasn't that. <laughs> Somebody tapped some headphones. Your defense allowed 40 points to a team that you thought was rickety. We thought the same thing in Florida. We was like, we're going to kill Ole Miss. And they came out, they put up 30 points on us. Even with our terrible defense. In Alabama, you got to, Ole Miss has a good offense. Their defense just is not good. But I think it's going to be a good game. Um, I think both teams are, are well-oiled. The running game is going to be – I'm going to look for that mostly. Um, I think Najee Harris is going to have a big game. He has to. He's pretty good out the backfield, catching and running. I think it's going to be a pretty good game. I think Georgia's up for it because, you know, they, they step up to these games like this. And then they have that history with a national championship with, you know, previous years. It just has that rivalry in there. So, I mean, it's going to be a good game. Yeah, definitely. Well, Markel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, as, as always. Thanks for being back on, man. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for the first half, and we'll be right back with our review of the Adjustment Bureau. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our review of the town. And listeners, I know in the first half and even before the break, you heard the Adjustment Bureau review but Savon, we had to make an, an, an executive decision. <laughs> <laughs> we had to be like, Justin Bureau can wait. We got to do the town. And um, uh, 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 that, that, that's kind of the one we're going to get into um, for this particular episode. And to start off with the overview of the town, um, the town is a 2010 American thriller film co-written, directed by and starring Ben Affleck, adapted from Chuck Hogan's 2004 novel, Prince of Thieves. Along with uh, Ben Affleck, it's starring Rebecca Hall, John Hamm, Jeremy Renner, Blake Lively, um, Titus Welliver, Peter um, Postulate, and Chris Cooper. And this film is about a group of Boston bank robbers who set out to get one final score by robbing Fenway Park. It had a budget of $37 million and brought in $154 million in the box office. Um, Rotten Tomatoes actually got it right this time, 93%, uh, 93% yeah. rating. So, I mean, this was a pretty strong rating, also chosen by the National... <laughs> 
also chosen by the National Board of Review as one of the top 10 films of 2010. Um, Jeremy Renner was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in Posture Weight, was posthumously uh, nominated for the BAFTA Award for Best Supporting Actor. And, you know, as a Boston-based crime drama, it, it tries to add on the elements and forms of um, other Boston crime dramas like The Departed, Mystic River, and Gone May Be Gone. Um, but what were your initial thoughts of this film and also just the responsibility and efficiency Ben Affleck pulls off as a director and actor as he's, you know, been in films like Goodwill Hunting, um, you know, the, the, the Batman franchise, Pearl Harbor, um, some of all fears. He's been in a lot of different movies. And for this one, the, the director and, and actor phase was, was a kind of different element that he tried to pull off. I was always like, not, I wouldn't say infatuated. I would say like, I was intrigued the way that he has an authentic like Boston accent. It's super authentic. It's not like you hear, it's like so fluent, but this film, man, coming from those type of films, this is like his first, like not first, but it's one of his big, like big time roles, big time box office movies that did not. Yo, man, from beginning to end, like most, most like crime, like crime or bank robber movies, it's it kind of stale a little bit. I love the dialogue. I love the like, just the the close knit to the brother, the brotherhood they have in between these two guys. Like it just, yeah, man. And then it's just like Ben Affleck. Certain movies, like certain movies of Ben Affleck, always gives me. I love Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Good Will Hunting when he was in there. I love uh the town. Um, it was a bunch of other movies that he's played in in his early years, not his later years. Jeez, why does it escape me right now? But I'm a fan of Ben Affleck, not for Batman. But um, mm, no, <laughs> no, God, that was interesting. That was a bad career decision. <laughs> I, I mean, he got paid well, but uh, yeah, it just didn't pan over. Yeah, it just didn't pan out, and just didn't pan over until where everybody thought he was gonna do a, be a great Batman. But no, this film right here, man, it was like legit, no holes. It should be at least like ninety-seven. See, I'm nitpicking. Okay, ninety-three is pretty good. But, the, but the, it really wasn't any like particular holes you could find from it. Like two, you know, two and a half hours. Um, I mean, essentially two hours. It it really feels as though one of those films that just flows so well. And I couldn't p- personally find any low points. And that and that's one of the like the rare things you can find in crime dramas because sometimes there's things you right. can nitpick, but there really weren't many I could. No, not for sure. And then, I'm, well, I'm probably skipping ahead, but. It's like the storyline is like super dope, bro. Like mm-hmm. we give we we have the reason why they the way, the way they are or why they're like consider each other family. Mom ran away. It just has all those different aspects of why psychologically they're doing this, and then physically <laughs> why they're doing this because one the money, and then yeah. it's just like it's all they know how to do. Yeah. So exactly yeah, that's straight good movie. Yeah, and, and actually, listening to to our first topic from one of four stars, what would you give it? Um, I definitely give it four. As this was a film that was just so well written and it's intense, along with being, um, you know, just one of the vintage heist films of the last few years, and just um, also one of the ultimate Boston movies. Um, but to you, from one to four stars, what would you give it, and why? For sure, four stars. Not just because of Ben Affleck and uh, Jeremy Renner. The supporting mm-hmm. cast, like Blake Lively, Rebecca Hall, she killed it. Uh, Pete, Chris Cooper, like those guys, those supporting actors, man, really did their job to the T. Like it was just like it was had it had funny in there. It was just like it was a lot going on, man. But four stars for sure. I, man, gosh, the town. 
And in the name of the movie, it's, the it's so the fitting. It's the, 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 the naming, just the ambiance of the of the city. It's just it's just so perfect. That sets the tone because you could have picked uh Boston Heights or something like that, or so <laughs> stupid. You picked the town. I would have knocked it down to three just for the title. <laughs> Boston Heights. Boston Heights. But you know, it's crazy though. Like the town, like if you didn't see the cover art, you just said, I oh, have you watched the movie with Ben Affleck in the town? You think it's like a family drama or something, which it kind of <laughs> is a family drama. Yeah. But uh, nah, man, the, the name, the name and title is like just it really sets the tone for the entire movie. Yeah, absolutely. And transitioning to, to favorite character, um, for, for me it was Jim. As for the entire movie, he has a me against the world attitude and just an extremely intimidating figure. Um, you know, everybody in the crew always sticks to the script, and, and Jim's you know the, the um fascinating opposite with a wild streak and, and never really reels it in um but to you kind of who is like your personal favorite character doug doug mm. was a smart guy they don't yeah. do the job without doug like doug was the it just reminds me of oceans casino. 11 and ocean yeah. 12 yeah and casino as well it's just like they don't move without doug you know you can't pull it off with doug go get doug what do you mean and doug <laughs> is the one that wants to get out and if he did the only person who got out Disclaimer: If you haven't watched the town, but yeah, Doug, man, he <laughs> was like, yeah, he was all machine. He didn't take any crap, even from his brother. Nah, I did. That was a terrible accent. See, I can't do it. Are you? Are you a knock? Are you? Are you? Are you a knock? I'm from Southie or whatever. I don't know how to do the accent. Well, it's a... <laughs> the Boston accents are tough to pull off. Yeah, man. For it consistently, oh geez, I don't see how actors do well. They're actors. They get paid for it. Yeah. And, and um and now transitioning to um most memorable scenes um I had first she didn't see anything where James expresses concern to Doug over potential witness to their crime um you working with the FBI Claire tells Doug how she was um taken as a has a hostage and released during a bank robbery um also the um uh the, the the interrogation scene where FBI agent Crawley intimidates Doug um how come you never looked for her um where Doug visits his dad in prison and, and raises questions about his mother. Mm-hmm. I never asked you to where David tells James that he's leaving um, the criminal life behind. One of the, to me, that was the personal best uh, favorite scene of the movie, just a mm-hmm. really like strong confrontation. And he really like sets the record straight for for how he's grown up and what he wants to do for the rest of his life. Right. Um, we're holding court in the street where um, James lets Doug know that he'll die in a shootout before going back to prison. I want to go with you. Um, Krista begs Doug to take her with him, but insists she stays. And then finally, um, the, um, the 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 SWAT team uh, scene where Doug and, and the company get into a shootout with them, um, but to you overall, like what was the most memorable scene? The most memorable scene, man, is when they just robbed. The, I think the last bank or the the bank before that, and they're in the the Sister Act Church, um, yeah. you know, none thing, and they were cleaning out the car, and then the cop car was over there. Oh, they looked over, yeah. and it was <laughs> they like they were in a scaring like, contest, oh. <laughs> right? He was like, bro. I don't want none of that, but he was like, yeah, go ahead. I don't see nothing. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> that I'm was my away. favorite scene, bro. That really, like, yeah, bro, I don't want... It's four, y'all. I'm going to die. I have a, uh, bro, a nine millimeter. You guys got automatic rifles. Like, nah, I'm not going to win this battle. But that scene, um, the scene when he was talking to his dad in jail, he was like, he didn't want to tell what his mother really was. And I think Fergie kind of said it, um, to say something about his mother, who she really was, or something like that. Um, but that was a good scene. The scene when he was like, bro, I'm I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. I'm out of God, why can't I get it? Well, it's, it's going to irk me. I want to talk like I'm from Boston. <laughs> me, me too. 
Oh man. Yeah, and, and, and not getting to, to most memorable quotes. Um, no matter how much you change, you still have to pay the price for things you've done from Doug. Um, I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later. We're gonna hurt some people. Um, another one from Doug. And then um Jim just says, Whose car are we gonna take? He has no hesitations about about no going hesitation. to the No um, hesitation. Uh, yeah, at all. And, and then uh, did you say your name was Jim or, or Jim from Claire? And then finally from um, Adam Frawley, I know everything here is to know about money. Um, to you, what was your most memorable quote? That one. Uh, he was something like, we're going to hurt somebody, can't ask me about it. He's like, what car are we driving? <laughs> like, and then um, when um, uh, James said, was like, I- I'll go, I'll die in a shootout before I go back to jail. And um, that was a that was a dumb one. That, that really set the tone for his character. Like, yo, I would die. I'm not going back to jail. He spent, what, 10 years in jail? Yeah, 10 years. He didn't want to go back, I guess. He's definitely died a shootout. <laughs> <laughs> it played out that way. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now transitioning to, to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, you, you know, to me, the, the core elements were just not overtly challenging or dynamic, but it, w- it wasn't riddled with problems at the same time. And it's just a, a two, um, a solid two-hour ride. And, and the bank robbing scenes will always be remembered as, as very compelling. Um, but to you looking back at this, like like what kind of particular part about the storyline did you like the most? Well, let's see. What didn't I like about the storyline? I love the way they kind of like, I don't know, intertwine and straddle us along with the storyline because we always heard his mom left. Right. And then once we we are ready to get like the explanation from his dad, the dad had opportunity to say why she left and why he did it. He didn't even give it to us. We got it from a, a terrible source. <laughs> I think it was Fergie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I've been watching was. about him a, a month or so, but he got it from Fergie. <laughs> Out of all people, Fergie. <laughs> what the heck? And then that that kind of was like, oh, man, I wish his dad would have told his dad had an opportunity to tell him. I guess he didn't want to taint the image. I mean, his image already tainted. She left, and then she died. Like, well, he didn't know that, but now he died. And then um, I love how he gets justice from Fergie. He was like, I'm going to kill y'all. Like, I'm, It was just like everything they said they were going to do, they did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Doug said he wanted to get out. He got out. He got out the way he wanted to, even though he was pulled back in. Um, uh, what was his name? James said, I- mm-hmm. I'll die to shoot out before. It's like, is it everything they said they were going to do came into fruition? It came to fruition, yeah. Yeah, so that was really dope. I love how... Because, you know, some they, they'll just... for monologue and dialogue purposes they'll put that in there but we don't see the end result of it you mm-hmm. know what i mean so that yeah, we saw the end result for every one of those quotes exactly it was like man i think that's the first film like i remember off the top of my head that did that yeah it, it's it's very few films that that are able to, to kind of like intertwine those quotes and then the end results like they did and you know one of the you know main guys that really gets highlighted in this film is jeremy renner um, as Jim, and you know he was nominated for um, best supporting actor, and, and and just like when you have a film where you've got a guy like Ben Affleck who's who's, who's leading the charge, and Jeremy Renner is able to give like a career defining performance. Like like what were your thoughts of just of the type of performance he gave? As every time there's a guy that comes along that that has that type of performance where it just it sticks with it sticks with people for a long time. He, you know he, he's he's had a, a definitely long winded career, but Right. This was definitely at the top of what he's been able to do. For sure. And I think it, it gave him the opportunity for the Jason Bourne movie when Matt Damon didn't want to do it at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but for this film, we I didn't really know about him before this. I think he played in some um like some mediocre films. He was just like a, a big, like like not even a big supporting actor. But for this film, just the way he presented it, the way he like, I don't know, he played the character so smoothly that you didn't yeah. know this was a film. Like he was just like, yo, this dude. It's just like when Black Mass and um Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp mm-hmm. played that character so smoothly. You didn't yeah. you really think you were like in a movie theater no watching a movie. Yeah. So for this, and then I think this gave him the opportunity for um what's the other film was Tom Cruise? Uh oh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mission, yeah, exactly. He really I think he had one. two or three films with those. So I think this, like everybody felt like the role that he played, the way he played it, and he has this distinctive look about him in his yeah. voice. Because I don't think he really talked in a Boston accent, if I'm not mistaken. It was more so his regular voice. (laughs) (laughs) And he pulled it off. (laughs) He pulled it off. And then it was just like he had that, it was like that fear guy. Now, I don't know, but he played the role so smoothly, you didn't realize that you were watching a movie. It's like, man, maybe he is from Boston, but he's probably from like (laughs) Connecticut or somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it's, uh, with our last topic, 10 years from now, do you still think it'll be watchable and intriguing? Um, I, I definitely think it will as, you know, the direction performances from all the leads make it constantly intriguing. And it's better than just a simple um, heist movie as it's, um, as I said before, a massive thrill ride. Um, but this is, this is just one of those films I can watch over and over again, and it doesn't get old um, to you. Like one in particular, another 10 years from now, do you, do you think we'll still make this uh, watchable and intriguing type of movie? Uh, the name for sure. Yeah. Uh, Ben Affleck. <laughs> I love saying his name, Affleck. Um, <laughs> it's probably Affleck or something like that. Um, Jeremy Renner. Those two guys. Because now, if you like, if you're like a general Gen Z or Gen X, what do you want to call them after millennials? Um, if you know about them, both actors, you're gonna think about um, Gone Girl. Batman, some other like you know Marvel films, maybe um, Mission Mission Impossible, whatever. But then you have to search back and like, oh, these guys played in a row together. The town, what's this? And I just the name itself, the storyline. If you love crime movies and and them being in Boston, because it seems like most films are in like crime films are in New York or Boston. (laughs) It's just only two locations (laughs) they pick from. I guess that's what all like the crime was in. It was just New York and Boston. So, um, well, just you know, New York, Brooklyn, whatever, and Boston. Yeah, which is super crazy. <laughs> Boston in all places. Gosh, man, Boston, Boston. <laughs> and, and, and even like with what John Hamm did, as he's the FBI agent trying to trying to you know uh, take this whole crew down. Um, with what he's with what he was trying to to be able to accomplish and and really intimidate Doug and and what were kind of your thoughts on just what his performance was because there are certain FBI agents that you know it's not as believable of a role in certain films but this one I really feel like he pulled it off and was able to kind of go toe to toe against Doug in in this film. Yeah, John Hamm is such a good actor, mm-hmm. and it's like he. It's like most actors have those distinctive traits they have periodically through each film. It's the look. Do you remember uh, uh, Baby Driver? Yes. When he played a Baby Driver, it's that look, that cha- that chaotic look. But it's like, <laughs> it's like, um, 
I don't know. It's like poise in it. It's just like the look that he gives, like his demeanor, like he's just a great actor. But for, mm-hmm. for most FBI agents who play FBI agents, it's just like, it's just normal. But when, yeah. when John Hamm, he just brings that different element to it. And then you really, you really seek into the role. And then you start rooting for the bad guy because John Hamm is so freaking really good. Like he's like the, the character he's playing is so really good. He's smart. He knows money. Yeah. He's he like, can outsmart oh. people. Exactly. So you start, hey, I hope they don't, I hope he don't catch him. I hope he doesn't get him. And then at the end of the movie, you know, he he gets out with it. And then he saw, <laughs> I, I love how he gives the letter to the other he guy. He gives it to the other guy. <laughs> I was just watching it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is for you. Oh gosh. But uh, that was, that was a good bit. I wonder if that was scripted. I think he, I don't know if that was scripted or not. That was probably like an impromptu thing that they kind of like added, added along. I mean, th- I there was no so. way. Yeah. Oh, so that just goes to the greatness of like, what kind of actor he is. Just like, hey, yo, this is for you. Everybody was like, cut, John. <laughs> John. No, John, don't do that. Don't do that, John. <laughs> John, what are you doing? You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Williams and Burns, Lamar Counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>